0: Everyone and welcome to another episode of "Do I Still Love It," the podcast chosen by choosy moms. Uh, I'm your host Marshall James, and
1: I'm Laura Weiss.
0: And every week is a GIF reference.
1: Whenever I hear, whenever I hear choosy moms, now I my brain doesn't know whether or not it's like that. Choosy moms choose shortened animated videos. Yes, exactly. <laughs> is this your elaborate way of introducing the fact that you're now sponsored
2: by Jiffy?
0: <laughs> I wish. Look, Procter like, and Gamble, if you want to throw us some of that sweet P B mm-hmm. money It is happy
1: pretty awkward. Like, even in this day and age of like trying to eat more healthy, mm-hmm. peanut butter is one of those things where I still just buy Jiff Like I tried to move away, and then I just, like, my childhood taste buds were like, fuck this real food. (laughs) (laughs) Big peanut, man. (laughs) They're going to get us. Does
0: does, does Laura still love childhood peanut butter?
1: Yes. (laughs) Marshall actually grew up a mile away from the Jif plant. Really? Yeah,
0: like, driving to school every day smelled like roasted peanuts. Did you get tired of it, or did you just get used to it? I mean, there's very few things on Earth that smell as good as roasted peanuts, so I never got tired of it. That's fair. So, uh, Weird Do I Still Love It, a podcast where we invite a friend over to watch a movie or a TV show that they loved when they were kids to see whether or not they still love it now that they're adults. And that uh, grown-up little kid this week is returning favorite actor-comedian Michael Chow.
2: Hi, Michael Chow here.
0: (laughs) Mike is a uh, gracious drop over because we realized that we wanted to do Blade Runner because the uh, sequel is coming out or just came out this weekend and uh, I wanted to go see it and I told Laura that that phrase oh man well, we should rewatch the original Blade Runner because I haven't seen it in like forever.
1: Marshall actually tried to watch this without doing an episode oh. and then I slapped him silly <laughs> yeah. and we called Michael Chow. You gotta build that brand Marshall. Yeah I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm, so don't worry everyone I was grabbed just in time so we have uh, michael chow returning to talk about some more dystopian future <laughs> um and we're gonna be watching 1982's blade runner by ridley scott and uh I'm, I'm pretty stoked this
1: is not the first ridley scott film we've had oh anymore. yeah we oh did my Ledger. god oh yeah that's right <laughs> yes, this but, is a weird so trend you may,
0: yeah you may remember we had michael chow on for one of the earlier ridley scott movies which was legend mm-hmm. which, which, I think,
1: was which was horrible yeah it's
2: real bad <laughs> although maybe that was right after this i think this is the movie that because it was 84 i think. wait i think from what i understand there's a scene in blade runner that they just took straight out of legend and just put it in what really yeah oh well, well maybe we'll talk about it once we watch the movie, the movie but well i'll tell you which scene it is great yeah so uh
0: michael chow real briefly what are the uh plot points of blade runner as you remember them
2: uh, so it's the story of so they're like synthetic. It's unclear whether they're like robots or like synthetic people, like lab grown, <laughs> like people. lab grown people. But they're made. It's the, like near distant future, like the near future. Okay. And uh, these like they're these synthetic people are called replicants, and they're made with the purpose of um, basically doing like the labor that people don't want to do. Okay. And uh, basically like a. They start becoming self-aware, so they have to be retired. Like by, killed. Like uh, killed. Okay. Uh, and that is done by the professional Blade Runner.
0: And that's what they call that's, the assassin of the Yeah, which apparently
2: people. is, like, not in the book. Apparently, like, Ridley Swat just thought it sounded cool. So I, I actually
0: know a little bit about... About that, but Laura, you had something you?
1: No, so so wait. The main character in the movie was not in the book. No, so no, here's no, no. Uh, the job title was not in the book. The job title. So, yeah. I thought you meant the entire character. <laughs> no. I was so, like, that's fascinating. Yeah, so
0: here's actually where it comes from. Blade Runner is the name of a completely different script that was purchased oh, yeah. by this company. And apparently, Blade Runner is a movie. the The original Blade Runner that was a movie about a person who was a professional organ harvester in the oh. future on the like black market for huh. organs yeah so a blade runner is someone who like goes does like you know surgery leaves you in a yeah bucket of ice while he runs off with your kidneys
2: so that um, actually makes sense as a title because this right. movie has nothing to do with blades at all <laughs> but then they
0: also purchased the rights to philip k dicks do androids dream of electric sheep which is vaguely what this movie's based on and they're like, but I still like that Blade Runner title. Let's slap that one on there. <laughs> well, and we call I mean, uh, the main character a Blade Runner? Is that cool? <laughs> Such I
2: mean, a
1: Ridley Scott impression. Uh, that's just my
0: Hollywood executive title. Oh, yeah. Type. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, it, it's a little bit more. It, it has a little bit better ring to it than. Oh yeah. Than what was it again?
0: Do androids dream of electric sheep?
1: That's not really a blockbuster <laughs> no. movie title. It's real That's mouthful. more of like an independent, like buddy comedy. Yeah. yeah. And so I see. I see why they abandoned
2: it. Would take up like the
1: whole marquee if
2: they tried to do <laughs> yeah.
1: it. Yeah. Or it would just be like a hilariously long acronym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so. Mike,
0: so you were telling me that you remember that you have watched this at two different points in your life mm-hmm. and one time you hated it and one time you loved it. Tell us about yeah. the time you which came first.
2: So uh, I the first time I saw it, I think I was like in sixth or seventh grade and like my dad brought home a like you just my parents used to just buy movies without even like having seen them before. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> they were like on sale, they'd just get it. And they brought home, like, this Harrison Ford sci-fi movie. And, like, oh, I love Star Wars. I'm going to love this movie. And I really hated it the first time I saw it. Because you're like, this guy isn't, like, Han Solo at all. (laughs) No, he's, like, a real dirt man. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also just, like, uh, it's... I I think having seen it, like, the second time, I now think it's to its credit, but it's got a very slow, like, meditative pace. Okay. And I think as, like, a sixth when I was in like sixth grade I just didn't appreciate that sort of pacing. Sure. Like I just thought it was really boring. But I always liked the production design element of it. And then so I ended up seeing it much later in like college ish. Okay. I think everybody I think I feel like everyone in college rewatches. Yeah, yeah, Blade yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have just liked it so much more and I kinda love it. Uh what about you, Laura?
1: I mean okay, so like the only thing I remember about this movie is like <laughs> like there's like a a sex scene with like oh. virtual reality machines. You're like, uh, I don't think that's in the movie. <laughs> not, not, you're not thinking movie.
0: of a Demolition Man well, with shit. Sylvester Stallone <laughs> and Sandra Bullock, because they do have weird VR sex in that
2: movie. And it's a dystopian movie. It's it's in the same genre. Did I have no
0: clue.
1: I've always thought that, that. I always thought it was Blade Runner.
0: Mm-mm. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Although oh my god, we do have to do demolition Man oh, sometime because yeah. I did love that movie also. Well
1: then oh, I have years. literally no idea what I got myself into.
0: <laughs> well this has Harrison Ford in it though. Yeah. I like Harrison so Ford. this is nineteen eighty two. So to put it in the Harrison Ford chronology, this movie came out after Empire Strikes Back, but before Return of the Jedi. Okay. So the ultimate fate of Han Solo is unknown mm-hmm. at the time when this movie initially came out. Now there the I so I saw this movie I think I saw it in a very similar kind of pattern to Michael Chow. Only the first time I saw it was around like yeah, you know, sixth grade or something, and it kind of blurred together with all the sci-fi. Like <laughs> sixth grade was around the time my parents started letting me watch whatever movie I wanted to watch, as long as it wasn't gratuitously like like gratuitous sex scenes. And even mm-hmm. then, like I could probably get away with it if I had just my parents. But like violence was fine. But violence was totally fine. <laughs> so I was getting way into like. All sorts of sci-fi movies, and like watching like Screamers and Enemy Mine and Blade Runner, and uh, and so I remember thinking like, yeah, it's awesome, but it didn't really stand out to me. Mm, okay. And then I did revisit it, um, like you said. Like I think freshman year of yeah. college, like you get out from underneath your parents' boot <laughs> heel, and you just want to watch like, Blade I wanna
1: Runner. I want to be a film buff. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch The Godfather. I'm going to watch Full Metal Jacket, and I'm going to. And I'm going, going to, watch... to do it
1: while I'm drinking natty ice. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, well, so what do you think it was that that changed between your first viewing and? And your second viewing that, like, in you as a person from preteen Michael Chow yeah. to teen, teen Michael Chow.
2: <laughs> I think my attention span honestly just got better, and I guess I knew what to expect. Like, I, when I first saw it, I thought it'd be like this, like, fun, like, sci fi action thriller, and it's not really that at all. And going back, knowing all that, I think it worked out. Uh huh uh i just like robots a lot more now too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my love content. for
1: robots had really grown <laughs> over those many years
2: because <laughs> as a kid i didn't really like sci-fi a lot i liked fantasy a lot more and now i think i'm going the other direction now uh-huh. so i feel like my taste has just changed entirely oh wow okay yeah. so like so
0: young michael chow mm-hmm. what would have been like a movie that he was way into around the time you first saw it and didn't really
2: care for the movie when was the first lord of the rings the first Lord of the Rings was, like, I in 99? Okay. Because I, think. I think it was definitely book. read the books as a kid, and then I loved the movies. So I was really into, like, Lord of the Rings. So. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool.
1: Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Nerds <laughs> unite.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was always a pretty big sci-fi fan. More, mm. I, I mean, I liked fantasy, too, but I think sci-fi was always sort of my jam. But oh, I think sure. as a result, because I crammed in so much sci-fi yeah. in my tween years i think they all kind of ran together until i started revisiting them as an adult yeah and so won't you join me as i revisit as an adult watching blade runner will we still
2: love it who knows
0: (laughs) i need your deck this is a bad one worst yet there was an
2: escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago six replicants three males three females A
0: Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants, manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing.
1: What's this? Roy Batty, probably the leader. There was just one outfit making replicants, that superhuman, the Tyrell Corporation. Mr. Deckard, Dr. Eldon Tyrell.
0: I don't get it, Tyrell. Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. I was looking for six replicants. In a city of 106 million people. You
2: ever seen this girl, huh? Never seen it, it a
0: What I didn't know was they were looking for me.
2: Questions. I just do eyes. Genetic design.
1: Just die. Hello? I'm in a bar here now, down in the fourth sector. Why don't you come on down here and have a drink? That's not my kind of place. (laughs) Time to
0: die. I didn't care More than words can say If I didn't care Alright, so that was 1982's uh, Blade Runner by Ridley Scott. And, you know, it's interesting. My first thought is I remembered so little of this movie oh, okay. I, in the long run, I think. Huh. Like, the overall aesthetic... Mm-hmm. I very much remember. Oh sure, like that's just burned in my memory. Right, and like I remembered certain key moments, like Rutger Howard's dying monologue, mm-hmm. and I remember Edward James almost dressing like a pimp yeah. but being a cop. Sure, but otherwise, I didn't really remember at all what this movie like scenes from this movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how the other replicants died. Like, I, none of the other replicants like had made any sort of impression on me. Hmm. So, has that changed since? Well, okay, so it's it's interesting in that um, it's very easy for you to just watch this movie, I think, and just get lost in the art design. Mm-hmm. Like the production design is so cool. Oh yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, you can get really lost in the art design, and I think it was interesting. You and you and I both kept commenting on how the art style mm-hmm. and the storytelling really felt reminiscent of the kind of gritty anime. Oh
2: yeah, like specifically like the cyberpunk anime genre. Yeah. Like so- apparently predates both Akira and Ghost in the Shell, which both seem like those would have been the influences on this, which I didn't know. Maybe right. this
1: influenced that. Oh yeah.
0: I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. I mean, this sort of the design of the buildings in the future, plus the retrofitted like stuff that we recommend mm-hmm. we recognize from our time period which i thought was kind of interestingly played up in looper mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. another movie where we got to see the future and you see like uh or honda civic but it has the um uh like retrofitted mm-hmm. exhaust pipe thing attached to the back yeah
2: like there's a certain genre of like dirty looking sci-fi which i think like this and like star wars both have like kind mm-hmm. of a rustic feel to like otherwise like should be sheen looking technology
1: totally and i yeah. like that a lot no, I mean, I think that it actually makes it realistic. Though, mm-hmm. it's very funny. So this this takes place in Los Angeles, 2019. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can't help being in Los Angeles <laughs> 2017 and being yeah. like, they got that wrong, they got that wrong, this wrong, that uh-huh. wrong, this wrong, that wrong. And it's just funny to think about all the ways in which um, the future wasn't mm-hmm. uh, predicted. Sure. Like, the fact that, the fact that, I, I know that clearly there are there there are sci-fi worlds in which like an, a smartphone-esque thing existed. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that wasn't just completely across the board and mm-hmm. this there's a payphone. There yeah. is a video call payphone. It's like a yeah. Skype payphone. Yeah, it's yeah. a Skype payphone. Would you know like maybe that would be useful. Yeah. I could see that actually being mm-hmm. functional in bars because you could actually like have a way mm-hmm. that people could hear you. Um somebody should get on that. Yeah. yeah. You know like uh, click it in Along with like The old school Photo booth mm-hmm. Or oh, yeah. Or the um, <laughs> The jukebox Yeah You know But uh No I, It's funny my, my brain just Continually Was just like Judging their ability <laughs> To uh figure out what modern day would be like. One
2: thing, uh, we were talking about the photographs in this movie, like throughout mm-hmm. you see photographs of people's family members and they look like super old timey. Yeah, black and white or sepia tone yeah, photos. Yeah, and I feel like that's the precursor to like Instagram filters where you like intentionally make it look a little dated just because that's the nostalgia
1: of it. I mean, I hope that's the case because if not this, the the set designer just like really <laughs> didn't understand what they were doing. Right.
0: Like, so <laughs> we established that since the movie takes place, the movie takes place in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, in Los Angeles. So, very, very quickly in our near future. And uh, we realized that Deckard is probably supposed to be about as old as I am, which mm. would mean that Deckard is born about the year that this movie came out. Mm-hmm. So, this movie posited that in a young man's lifetime, it would go from life in the 1982 to. Flying cars, <laughs> giant interactive billboards. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, they
1: we got the giant interactive billboards. We and, did yeah. receive those. Mm-hmm. And the
0: housing crisis. They make some reference to a housing crisis.
2: Um,
1: but the housing crisis is not multiplanetary in the <laughs> world that we currently live <laughs> because in. Because most people,
2: I think, have left Earth at this point. Well, yeah, because
1: the Sebastian character um, said that he couldn't leave Earth because he, was, he didn't pass the health exam. Yeah, because right. he's an aging character.
0: Right, and it's interesting because we don't know much about what these out, off-world colonies are like. We mm-hmm. just hear that they're called colonies, that setting up life on them is dangerous, and that's the reason they invented these android replicants.
2: It's kind of cool that there's like this whole world that we don't see and they just hint at. And I feel like that's an yeah. interesting form of world building that you don't see very often.
0: you yeah, like, where did the Nexus 6 come from? Mm-hmm. Like, what world did they escape to get yeah. back here? Was it just the moon, and mm-hmm. so it was a short trip? Or was this colony... On somewhere in our solar system? Well, I mean, or? we did
1: get some context clues from that sweet final monologue. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where he said that he had seen ships on fire in the belt of Orion. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And uh, sea beams in front of the Tan Hauser <laughs> gates, which are not...
2: He's uh, seen full space battles. He's seen Star Wars, oh, wars go on. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> in very short time. Yeah. So so yeah. Whatever, their tra- whatever their travel is, it is like faster than light, Mm -hmm. uh, like probably near instant teleportation. I do
1: have some issue with the fact that they put this in
0: 2019. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So this is an interesting trope I've always thought was because I was way into sci-fi. And Mm any time a sci-fi movie had an opportunity to place their, their timeline, their actual timeline, it seemed like they always way under bet on how long into the future, like, the the most horrendous of this is Demolition Man, the, <laughs> the movie Laura confused this for, because Demolition Man came out in 1992, mm-hmm. and the first act takes place in 1995. So they posit that in three years from when the movie comes out, we will have cryogenic freezing of criminals.
1: I think that's something fun about Star Wars, is Star Wars is like, didn't happen here, happened millions of years yeah. ago. Yeah. Like, that's a really clever way to like mm-hmm. completely separate sci-fi
0: it's interesting it kind of makes me wonder did naming what year this came out with did that net the movie anything or would it would it better just to like tell us this is los angeles and Mm -hmm. just like because i've sometimes like the sci-fi movies that say you know the place and it says tomorrow yeah you know and it's just like it's just mysteriously forever in a possible future
2: It adds an interesting, like, surreal element, though, like, that maybe this is not the world that we should be aiming for. And, like, this is the world that's possible if we go much farther into kind of worse worlds. Yeah. Uh, You brought up an
0: interesting question midway through that if you could be in any dystopian (laughs) future, what would you be in? um
2: yeah that's the thing like this is uh, it's ostensibly a dystopia i would prefer this version of los angeles i would love to live in it
1: (laughs) well just really like the architecture yeah and it rains all the time yeah Yeah. the climate's low we're we're way out of the drought oh yeah it's uh, constantly
2: raining in los angeles in this movie
1: it's it's very seattle now yeah Yeah.
0: so (laughs) it's interesting because it's it's a rainy a lot to really add to the noir like detective thing and there's definitely a moment right before the weird questionable rape scene which Mm. we'll get to in a moment but there's a moment that where the the trope of uh you know he's like just another humphrey bogart you (laughs) know is uh when rachel who is our kind of um female lead who is a replicant who
2: She's not a femme fatale, though, which is different from the usual. She's
0: innocent, if anything. She's the innocent, a rich man's daughter. She's kind of a
1: blank. Yeah. Oh, that's actually great. She's the
0: mysterious woman. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like she's actually the only innocent character in this film. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, Sebastian is an innocent too. Aw, he yeah, that's true. And a simpleton. Mm-hmm. He's a sweetie. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad they didn't show us his death. Yeah, <laughs> I anticipate he died. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. definitely.
0: Yes, yeah, so he's a he's a designer of replicants, but also sort of a simpleton. So when our rogue four replicants come across him, mm-hmm. I think they become aware that he's sort of a simpleton and it's easy to fool.
2: But he's also like their. like i think they're they're basically children they're only like a few years old
0: right like rucker Uh, howard's the oldest and he's only like three and three quarters and they
2: are manipulative towards sebastian but i feel like priss genuinely likes sebastian agreed
0: yeah yeah Yeah, that's daryl hannah's character who's Mm. sort of the sex bot and she's the one who finds this um designer but then she's kind of taken by him or at least thinks he is kind of charmed by him. He's like her little
2: him. brother the way she treats him. Like you assume that since he's a sex bot she's going to try to seduce him and maybe there is kind of an element of that but it's a lot more like childish flirting than it is like full on seduction. Yeah, like let's be friends. Yeah.
1: I just realized we haven't talked about Harrison Ford almost at all. Oh yeah okay. yeah. So Harrison Ford's our lead <laughs> and
0: like we said, so this is just post um Empire Strikes Back. He's been in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So at this point Harrison Ford is you know total box office mm-hmm. gold, you know. Um and he is not sympathetic in the least. No,
2: like to his credit, as like an actor and the choices he makes, he just deliberately plays it super uncharismatic and like
1: pretty despicable. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a slimy character. He's
2: totally the. uh
0: hard-boiled gumshoe who's got, like, nothing to lose, yeah. and has, is pissed off that he was brought out of retirement.
2: One of his first scenes is, like, telling the Rachel character, like, you're a bot, you shouldn't value her life at all. <laughs> yeah, you've got
0: two years left tops. They've been lying to you your whole life. And it, like, breaks her heart. <laughs> yeah. and But then later on, because Rachel is this beautiful, mysterious mm-hmm. woman type, so she shows back up, and Deckard, like, forces himself mm-hmm. upon her. He kisses
1: yeah. her and she says and she 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 gets up and goes to leave and then he slams the door on mm-hmm. her pushes her up against a window she's like
2: visibly crying well, yeah
1: she's like legitimately terrified and knows what's about to happen to her and then he's like Tell me you tell me to kiss yeah, he
2: you. He makes his demands of her affection. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then, so she gives in, because what else do you do in that moment mm-hmm. when you're pinned against something by someone that's larger than you if you don't want to be physically hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, and in the background, there's like this sexy noir music.
0: Yeah, the sexy saxophone like, plays like a... But there
1: but are like, like weird breaks in it that seem suspenseful.
0: yeah. yeah
1: because it's a will they or won't they like that's what was really frustrating was hmm. it felt as though it felt as though the music from a different love scene Mm, mm -hmm. was placed over this like horrifying assault yeah yeah and i was not i was not expecting this i was actually expecting when she showed up that they would probably both be into it yeah so the fact that she it wasn't even like low level not consent Mm -hmm. it was full on i'm leaving now he like
0: slams the door on her to prevent her from leaving and shakes his head and grabs her face and then uh michael you made the good point that like does she have to say yes because she's ultimately a robot yeah, and I, has to take orders like, from people?
2: I don't know if this is Ridley Scott's intention at all, but like my reading of the scene is that it's supposed to be uncomfortable and it is supposed to be rapey, and he's he's treating her like an object, which is not like throughout the film you're learning like that these replicants are people, but he's not treating her that way at all in that moment, or even like by the end of the movie, really. Yeah, it, it's interesting because like you said. Uh, By the end of the movie, when Deckard's having
0: his final out with Pris, who's Daryl Hannah, Mm -hmm. and Roy, who is Rutger Hauer, uh, the two of them and their plight as people who have just been made aware of the fact that they are both slaves Mm -hmm. and slaves born to
2: die very quickly. Like, Rucker, Hauer, like, Roy's whole goal, their only goal is to live a little bit longer. That's all they want. Or, uh, you know, in lieu of that, Mm -hmm. revenge
0: upon the people who created them to live this miserable life. Mm -hmm. Like, they're the most sympathetic characters. Right. And so we're not really rooting for Deckard to beat them. Because Deckard doesn't seem in the right, and they They don't. don't seem in the wrong.
2: Like, I think Roy is kind of the hero of the movie by the end. <laughs> yeah. He saves Deckard. Like, he could have let him die. Yeah. And he, like, decides to have this moment where he, like, empathizes with this, like, horrible man. Yeah. Because he, like, they, the one thing they can bond over is death. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, and I think, I, think, I think the character of Deckard is actually really difficult because mm-hmm. I don't think we are sold I don't think that as the audience, mm-hmm. he is sold to us as a bad guy.
2: Because mm. he's played by Harrison Ford. He's like- played
1: by Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. And like that role is usually our eyes right. in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And so I am only gathering that I should maybe see him as sleazy because the two other people at this table are telling me that. Mm-hmm. Oh, like in okay. watching this movie, yeah. I gathered that I was supposed to sympathize with him the entire time mm. that I was supposed to root for him the entire time. Oh. Which makes his actions in through my eyes mm-hmm. incredibly uncomfortable sure. because it felt to me as though it was sold like everything he was doing was in the right. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. it's That's the weird thing about this kind of neo-noir thing is even back in the day with like the Maltese Falcon Mm -hmm. and the Big Sleep and that sort of thing like you know when Humphrey Bogart was really like pioneering the whole Mm neo-noir or like noir. Like Like they're all anti-heroes. They're all anti-heroes. He's not Humphrey Bogart's guy is not a good dude, but he is no. still the hero. Yeah, he still he he will slap a woman who's being yeah. hysterical, and he'll even force kisses on them. Sure, and he will. Well, the
1: thing is, like these films weren't made for women, no. right? No, they were not, not made for a female eye. No, they were made for other men mm-hmm. who wanted to be to see themselves mm-hmm. as this all powerful character. Sure. Yeah. that's true. And I think what we get in here is a weird dystopian version of that. And I, I have to admit, I don't necessarily agree that he was supposed to be seen as this mm. gross, rapey person back when it was created. And I know we're all uncomfortable with sure. that, but I mean, it, I think he was supposed to be like mm. a lauded anti-hero. Right. I mean, my
2: argument is that I do think it's supposed to be a deconstruction of noir tropes. Fair. Like, I think it's deliberate that he's pretty pathetic throughout he's never portrayed as like there's no big bold like brave moment for him no Th- there is no like, save the cat moment no, there's, you're right there's he's never saved by rachel he's beaten up by multiple women
0: yeah yeah that's true he doesn't have a moment of true heroism no. like if we there there is an argument to be made that if we wanted if the goal was for us to like deckard mm-hmm. we should meet him while he's finishing up his last case yeah. where he's rescuing a girl who was kidnapped mm-hmm. or solving a murder yeah. of, like, a really important, well-loved But, like, his job person. is to kill. And he's but he's killing, an assassin, yeah. He's killing
2: people that we learn to care about. Yeah. And I think the interesting transition that happens midway through is, like, the last moment we get with Decker before Batty is, like, the big rape scene. And then the rest of the movie is kind of Roy Batty's story. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and th- that's something about that pace of this movie that I found really, really weird, mm. was it's Basically, until the very end, two different stories mm-hmm. smashed together and sure. not cut together in a way that I found very cohesive. Hmm. Because, like, it would be... I actually said, I don't think we've seen this this, this storyline in 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like, big chunk of story. Yeah. Like, 30-minute episode of one group of people. 30-minute episode of another group of people. 30-minute mm-hmm. episode that kind of shows them to the coming together, 10 minutes together at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I found that really disjointed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, I completely forgot mm-hmm. that the Sebastian and Daryl Hannah, like, the Sebastian and Daryl Hannah had yeah. met.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's, like, they, they came
1: back on the screen, and I was like, yeah. holy fuck, I totally forgot about these guys.
2: It has become kind of a different movie in the second half of it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I kind of still
2: think that's super deliberate because I think you get to the point where you're like, you're pretty unsympathetic to Deckard and then it switches over to, to yeah. the characters that I think Ridley Scott definitely likes the most. Yeah.
0: You know, and it's interesting because like, again, talking about like, Deckard, we first start realizing like that he's not a great dude or mm-hmm. at least the things he's doing are not great by our modern mm-hmm. sensibilities. Because he drops all that information on Rachel, who's Mm -hmm. just being the, she seems like she's a personal assistant or a secretary or something for our kind of villainous designer of all replicants. Mm -hmm. And uh, Harrison Ford just kind of drops the knowledge bomb on her that she's a replicant. She's probably going to die in like two years. Yeah. And I was like, God, that is devastating. Could you imagine if someone came up to you and was like anything before two years ago was Mm -hmm. actually an implanted memory and you're going to die in two
1: years. That would be, uh, that would be an existential, um, terrifying experience that I think wouldn't become any more comfortable until the moment that you died no. and just to success <laughs> the whole time you're just having a
0: hope that that person was just an asshole mm-hmm. they were just trying to fuck with me yeah you like there's no way you would
1: accept it mm-hmm. right like you would fight uh, against that idea I will counter to say that um the designer of said bots mm-hmm. um did say that she was suspecting she might be oh uh, sure oh but he like didn't tell her that was no. a part of it no, because he didn't want her to know. Because the experiment was, if he could implant all these memories, mm. would she, would she be able to live her entire life completely like unaware that she was this like, m- you know, monstrous, intense that, thing, the killing machine.
0: Well, you know what's weird <laughs> is though the is that no replicant ever knows that they're replicants.
1: Yeah, and so
0: that opens up a whole can of worms, like. Who decided, or why was it decided that replicants should all be lied to? Mm-hmm. That their true nature should never be known to them, because it seems dangerous. Because obviously, when they find out what their true nature is, they want to.
2: Do we know if that's the case for every replicant, or is
0: it just Rachel? Is she just? A yeah, test? I didn't well, but gather the, that. But the, I didn't think the Nexus Six seemed to know. Oh, like, I they did. They seemed outraged. No, I think by the, that.
1: I, think, I thought they come. I thought they came back specifically. I thought they came back to Earth specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah, the, try to get the, the guy to give them more life. trio's there
2: to get the... Inf- they're there to get oh, more life. okay, yeah. okay, okay. I think Rachel is different. Oh. Yeah, Rachel was
1: an experiment. Yeah. Okay. She's, like, the next... So she's, like, the next generation, Um, and he's created her specifically with implanted memories to see if, if she would be more controllable mm-hmm. than the replicants Nexus 6. Yeah, um, okay. That, that does
2: play into... I think I brought it up after the movie's over, but it's been the like ongoing question forever with blade runner is deckard a replicant
0: right so so there are two moments that that we really picked up on where the idea that deckard could be a replicant himself and not know it is early in the movie after he's tested rachel with this sort of they call it a void what comp test void comp test yeah
2: which is basically like a turing test
0: yeah but to try and test whether or not by looking at somebody's like n- responses to you telling them fucked up shit, because it's pretty much him just <laughs> yeah. saying like, you walk into your house, you've seen your kids have <laughs> been murdered and spread around the bedroom. What do you do? You know, like, or you're you find your husband cheating on you with a llama, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, oh
2: God, no! Um, I kicked that dingus out. <laughs>
0: so they, uh, so he's like putting this test on her and um and she goes well you know like deckard have you ever given that test to yourself and like in the moment he's already asleep so he never hears that question yeah and then later on so edward james almost has a very small part in this movie but he's basically playing the police officer that is deckard's like analog in the police department that he reports to and Every time he investigates a scene, his, like, calling card... That he makes, like, a, an
2: origami animal.
0: And leaves it there. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah like, like, he's a serial killer. <laughs> right? What the fuck? Yeah, that all I of- have
0: investigated this
1: crime scene. <laughs> Who does that? Is that a, a really a- bad detective. <laughs> right.
0: Sir, we found this evidence on the scene. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. I, I left that there. Sir, you mean you planted evidence at the scene? No, no, it's, my, it's like a calling card. It means I've investigated here. Why? Why would you do that? Sir? Are they
2: generally supposed to like retorts to things that they're talking about? I guess he, <laughs> like, he makes like a matchstick man. Yeah, he makes, um, like, a sh- it's all dumb. Well, uh, well. So earlier in the movie, like, uh, Deckard's just like daydreaming, and he like imagines this memory of a unicorn. He he remembers seeing the movie imagine seeing oh yeah uh we were talking is earlier it, about how there was a scene taken from legend
1: i mean like let's think about it guys he, he could have seen legend yeah, he might have watched legend had because legend might, would have it,
0: came out in 1984 this
1: might just legit be a memory of his childhood of watching his favorite movie legend yeah which is like a hilarious ridley scott like promo for his other film right
0: Yeah, there's a scene with just a really short scene of the unicorn from Legend, which was another movie reviewed by... Michael Chow, Which if I you're enjoying like. this episode, Nobody please.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, basically, all that movie was was a unicorn running around yeah. for yeah. an hour and a half
0: with a very
1: thin plot. So yeah, no, like, basically, we just watched Legend together. This movie is a
2: mystery, but it's like not super focused on that mystery, really. Right, because like, it's not a mystery
0: with like a bunch of like clues for no. you to solve. Like, it's really moment, more of a chase movie.
2: There's that moment you uh, you referenced where there. Uh, I think actually, Laura, you referenced it where the uh, he's going into that like. Uh, he's talking to like the guy that designs animals, but like mm-hmm. he's questioning. It, but like throughout the scene, you're outside of the building, and you're just kind of hearing in on it from the outside. It's not actually the the dialogue isn't that important that scene.
0: Right? Yeah the 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 camera and the audience perspective is left outside, so we only hear the muffled mm-hmm. through muffled uh, conversation through the glass. Like, all
2: you need to know is he's he's doing some police work.
0: So we get towards the end of the movie mm-hmm. where. Uh, All the replicants have died, Mm -hmm. and now Roy, played by Rutger Hauer, is kind of having his final duel with Deckard. And he's kicking Deckard's ass, Mm because he's a superhuman, like, military bot. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where Deckard, who's now beat the fuck up, and he is trying to escape, and he's about to fall to his death. And Rutger Hauer saves his life. Mm -hmm. And then proceeds to give his famous monologue about, you know, I've seen all sorts of fucked up shit. Um, and it's
2: all gonna disappear before me, and
0: all and moments. all my memories, yeah. all these things I've seen, don't no. matter for shit. No,
1: they're
2: gonna, they're gonna
0: wash disappear. away like
1: tears and rain. And then yeah. he says, "And now it's time to die." Yeah. And then he just. And then he like, lets a dove turns <laughs> off. Yeah, and then a dove flies. Again, going
0: with your idea that Roy's kind of the hero mm-hmm. is like Roy gets the final line. It's not yeah. a villainous monologue. No. It's not,
2: I'm going to get you, Jones. Well the last know. act is to save Deckard.
0: Yeah. Many of the other replicas yeah. of the movie had little moments where they showed like I'm a human. Yeah. Like I'm just as human as you mm-hmm. are. Or, you know, More arguably, are are you a human? Mm. You know,
1: well, I also think, I, I, I'm really struck right now by thinking about the fact that he knows as he's dying, mm. un- unlike a human that doesn't really know where they oh, go yeah. next, mm-hmm. he knows that just he ceases. Yeah. Yeah. Like, his program is done, mm-hmm. and he ceases to exist in a way that we as humans at least have that open-ended question. Yeah. Of is it everything or is it nothing or is it something in between? He knows it
2: down to the moment. Yeah,
1: yeah. literally, like a like a ticking thing. Of well, he's, I cease he feels to his exist. body
2: freezing up as he's yeah. just moving. That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and so all of the things that make him feel like the concept of humanity mm-hmm. are just fake. Yeah. And then they just are done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy thought. I Do really you th- think they're fake though? What do you mean by that? No, no. What I mean is he he's sitting here, mm. like, feeling, basically feeling, like, feeling all these human emotions. Oh, yeah. like he, I, I don't know if we said it on here or if we said it beforehand, but the the fact that they, they said in the beginning that, you know, these, these uh, replicates have no emotions. Mm. And then we see these, like, very, very, oh, yeah. like, deep meaningful oh, yeah. interactions um, that that show that that's not true at all. Yeah, how do any of these replicants fail the Voidcom test? No. Yeah. They're all far more emotional than Deckard ever is. Except yeah. for that one guy in the beginning uh, who sure. Harrison Ford ended up killing. Yeah. That. that guy was a meathead. <laughs> right. But he was a meathead. Right. <laughs> we have humans like that. Yeah.
0: If you were to change anything about this movie, mm. what would it be? Because I think one thing that I think would make this movie better is I don't think it needs Deckard in it. I think Mm. this movie could have been about the replicants and it could have started a little bit earlier with them, like, hinging on the thing that, like, they find out that Mm. their motivations are not their own. They're, like, how would it be to be somebody who's, like, you know, a soldier fighting in a war and feeling, Mm. like, all that patriotism and all that stuff and you're told, actually, I can prove to you that you're a slave race of Mm. robots who all (laughs) of your memories are just bullshit
2: Yeah, and you don't actually oh So you would pe- really like Westworld then, because that's exactly what that show is all about. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So I, I find it funny that, that that whole, how would I change this? Mm-hmm. That's literally what some w- that what you would need to say to Ridley Scott after hmm. his first writing of the script. Be like, hmm. okay, so this thing you created, <laughs> meh, but the world's really cool. Why don't we focus it from a totally different angle and rewrite the entire script? Well, but, I mean, it could have still kept okay. with
0: them. Like, I mean, we still have our principal villain who's the the designer of all replicants
1: Mm. yes but it's it would not be a noir anymore. no no it'd be a different movie now it would be more of a revenge it would be a very it would be a very compelling film but it would be a totally different movie i
2: think you like i i if you if you believe like i do that deckard is supposed to be despicable i think you need that contrast
0: that's true without deckard their action the actions of the replicants just seem bloodthirsty yeah what is everyone's enjoyment of this movie I like that this is an intelligent movie about AI and Mm -hmm. about the question human beings are going to have to ask ourselves about as we develop like real behaving AI, Mm -hmm. how do we control? Are we, should we feel okay about wanting to control an artificial intelligence? Mm -hmm. And if so, in what ways do we do that that don't lead toward resentment? Like how do we keep? How do we create life that does not resent being limited?
2: Like, what's the thing right now? People are building sex bots? apparently.
0: (laughs) Right? If if you make a sentient being, Mm -hmm. then... uh, Like, what responsibility do you have towards it? Yeah, and what responsibility to it being able to self-determine? Yeah. Because, like, that whole kind of scene, the creepy rape scene, is made creepier when you brought up, like... Can she refuse him, his orders? Yeah. Because.
1: Does, yeah. Does she have, and does she have programming yeah. that is specifically making it so she can't? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't know what the consent is there. Right. Right. All.
0: And, you know, and that's also something that's sort of interesting if you, um, like, I was a big fan of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And they wrote a bunch of like little
2: um Oh, the Animatrix. The Animatrix, these animated
0: shorts that were set in the world. And one of the Animatrix movies was called uh the was called the the Second Renaissance. And it's pretty Mm -hmm. much just the prologue that sets up how did the Matrix happen. Mm And it all kind of revolves around the idea of like AIs. Can AIs be guilty of like motives hmm. for murder? Yeah. What if the person that they murdered has wronged them? Yeah. And what if, if they had been a human, we would have seen that murder as mm-hmm. a defense? Yeah. You know, but now because they're a robot, we want to just judge them as a oh. oh, crazy machine must be shut down and melted.
2: How do you think this movie, what do you think, why do you think they believe that humanity is? Because I think at the beginning, they positioned it as what your memories are, but I don't think that's really all it is in the movie. Oh. Like, if
0: Rudger Hauer
2: is acting, how he's acting in the
0: moment is more important than his memories?
1: I think that's probably the case.
0: Yeah.
2: What do you think, Laura?
1: Oh, interesting. So what you're saying is this is kind of, this this film actually poses a question to us to mm-hmm. decide what humanity is. Yeah. Okay. Um, I... Th- that's that's a really interesting concept because in thinking of it this film through that lens mm-hmm. that really muddies the waters yeah because you know and it's it's really interesting to see the concept of ai actually covered in flesh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and actually not insidious yeah in some ways i mean like clearly in some ways they are but mm-hmm. um in in other ways not yeah and so I am always historically uncomfortable with AI. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, uh, which is always surprising, considering like how how much like my fingers have like been in tech and stuff like that. Like I'm very uncomfortable with the concepts, and so this just made me even more uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I'm basically like, why are we creating things that we can't control? Sure. But then you're literally asking yourself like okay, sorry, I'm just having a yeah, kind of a brain nope. explosion <laughs> moment. Uh, yeah. The same could be said for if I get pregnant. Sure. Right,
0: yeah. Because yeah. you, can't, you I, can't truly control a child for yeah. very long. And I
1: just realized that. hmm
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's. it's interesting because there are parts where the various replicants look at that creator, Mr. Burns, Dr. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Goebbels kind of guy, <laughs> and are just like, father, yeah. like right before crushing his skull, mountain yeah. style. Um, and, uh... Yeah, it, it does kind of beg that idea about if we create artificial life, mm-hmm. how are the rules and relationships different than when you create uh, organic life I mean, because the hard thing is you would
1: anticipate that there would be a hierarchy.
0: So would they not have some sort of obligation to then take it from us being... Arguably superior beings. if you we Don't do,
1: ever want to deal with. I mean, it's, part, it's part. of the reason like, why I Stephen
0: Hawking, both Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk, warn against. Yeah, they're like, both scared of it. Like of unbound be. AI. Yeah. Um. All right. So that brings us around to our title question. Upon your third major time of viewing, Michael Chow, do you you still love it?
2: I still love it.
1: <laughs> I think it's a really good movie.
0: Great. All right, Laura.
1: Um, okay, like, I didn't dislike this movie. I haven't decided yet. I think that's like a first on here. Okay. I think oh. I need to chew on this movie for a couple of days sure. to decide whether or not I liked it. So,
0: now do you remember if you had seen it or had I, you only I seen Demolition not. Man? Oh, I
1: okay. have not so seen this, the first this movie. Time viewing yeah, life. this was a first time viewing for me. I thought I had, mm-hmm. but I literally remember the wrong movie. <laughs> <way. laughs> <laughs> like, where are the seashells? Yeah. I mean, like, isn't that the classic? Do I yeah. still love it? i like, this is not the movie. <laughs> yeah, I it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'll be interested. There's several movies where, like, I have. <laughs> (laughs) only a vague idea that Mm -hmm. i've seen it and i'm interested for when we hit one where i'm like nope this is not at all what (laughs) i thought it was you know i do not love it as much as i Mm. did when i first saw it
1: or as much as you had anticipated you walked into this one thinking like yeah
0: well yeah Mm -hmm. i mean the the production design is amazing Mm -hmm. and the philosophical questions it asks about ai and and humanity are really interesting Mm -hmm. yeah i think i'm still a little bit hung up on the somewhat ambiguity of whether or not i mean i i agree that i think definitely by our 2017 lens Mm -hmm. deckard is not a good dude she's gaston right like his entire movie where gaston Mm -hmm. is the main character (laughs) but i'm with laura in that also i'm not sure Mm -hmm. if you know 25 years ago or 35 years ago yeah. when this movie came out if it was intended that way or if Decker was supposed to be just our dashing hero and Rutger Hauer just supposed to be our poetic villain at the end. I kind of wish we had just a little bit more mm. character development of just about anyone. Mm. I think there were just a few too many characters that then they were all dividing up their mm. screen time so much.
1: Well, I think that I... I I think we keep calling this sci-fi, but I think it was just as much a noir. And yeah. noir is completely, is completely based in trope. It's completely sure. based in stock totally. characters. And so I'm having a hard time, like, trying to marry those two in my head sure. afterward, which is funny because it worked for me in the moment. <laughs> but, like, as I'm starting to talk about what did this movie mean? What were they trying to say? I actually don't know because... They feel like two separate movies if, mm-hmm. I, if I'm if i trying to talk about them separately. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. And that's why I'm saying I don't know where I land on this because I think I need to chew on this movie for a sure. couple days. It's funny. Yeah. That's Which kinda, that's a good sign in my opinion. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, that's kind of the interesting thing about like sci-fi that makes you think is a lot of times sci-fi that makes you think is a blend of it's taking some other genre, whether it be like Western with Firefly mm-hmm. or, you know, the nightly romantic with Star Wars and, uh, but putting like sci-fi trappings on it. And sure. this really is just a detective noir mm-hmm. mystery. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, it it succeeds in a, in a real big way. Because you you are, I do spend a lot of the movie wondering about people's motivations. Yeah. There's a lot of times where I, I still to the very end didn't know whether or not like Rachel was going to be, you know, quote unquote, a good, good guy. Mm-hmm. Or was she somehow going to betray our hero? Sure. So on the whole, I, I don't dislike it. I, mm-hmm. I did like it. But uh, it wasn't a one hundred percent slam dunk like I sure. for me like I thought it was going to be.
1: Oh, I just realized that Rachel's a completely useless character. Yeah, I mean she's I mean she's literally a prop in the movie. Yeah, yeah. like it just really hit me. Like at the end, he goes in the room and then he's like, yeah. tell me you love me," and she's like, "I love you," and yeah. he kisses like, her. Tell her me, you trust me style. Yeah, and like, uh, oh, gross.
0: And she's like, "I love you, I trust you," and I'm like. Why, Why would you do either of those yeah. things? This guy hunts you, your people for a yeah. living, and he sort of raped you just a moment yeah. ago.
1: Weird,
0: depressing. <sighs> well, this is definitely gonna be one to think about, and I'm definitely interested to see the the sequel. Oh yeah,
2: I've seen it; it's great.
0: Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh man, uh, yeah. I'm I'm very interested to see it. Very excited to see Harrison Ford back. I'd be really wondering whether or not he continues to play Deckard as as we kind of see him, the slimy gumshoe or whether or not they've heroified him and he's just all good
1: we'll find out you know like character arcs over 30 years are pretty intense yeah Yeah. yeah.
2: he
0: managed to maintain that slow boil with han solo uh (laughs) in the uh new star wars movie so
2: he's revived like three franchises yeah (laughs) it's
0: yeah we just need a new fugitive and a new air force one <laughs> off of my plane
2: even framed again yeah
0: <laughs> that seems like that's it for this week i really want to thank uh actor comedian michael chow for coming over and doing yet Thanks another dystopian film with us yeah yeah so what uh what sort of projects you got coming up
2: um so uh sean uh past guest of the show uh
0: I sean george yeah
2: sean george uh, we've talked about dick river before
0: uh, yes the such an <laughs> title
2: Um uh, we it's screening uh this month uh on the 21st at um october 21st yeah a festival called um planet nine uh film festival it's gonna be at the california institute of abnormal arts
0: uh, oh, shit, is yeah. that's
2: that here in L.A.? And yeah, Hollywood it's like sometime? in Burbank area. Okay, very cool. Yeah. That's on the 21st of October. Yeah, uh, I think the festival itself starts at 7, and ours is screening around like 11. Man, well, I might just have to go then.
0: Yeah. Nice. Uh, so come on out to the twenty on the 21st October to uh, the film festival, and check out Dick Ripper, <laughs> <laughs> C- created by... Uh, Friends of the show, Michael Chow and Sean George. That's about it for us. Uh, thank you for listening to Do I Still Love It? If you want to reach out to us, we're at Do I Still Love It all over the internet, on the Instagram and Facebook and stuff. You can also email us at Do I Still Love It at gmail.com. Uh, so get at us on the social media. Let us know. Do you think Decker is a robot? It's Just throw in your feeling on the eternal question of, like, is he a robot? Has he been a robot this whole time? Also, check us out on iTunes, Google Play, or uh, on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And share the podcast with a friend of yours who loves nostalgia, or movies, or both of those things. And
1: please, if you can subscribe, rate, and review, you know, maybe like some five stars. Yeah. I'd really appreciate it. It's a really it. great
2: back catalog.
0: Uh, yeah, that we've got all the episodes up, and we're giving them all away for free. So the least you could do is go rate, review, and write a little... Uh, you know, hey, I loved it. Maybe <laughs> Thanks, uh, share it around on your social media. Help us out. We're a family affair here. Uh, all right. Well, for Do I Still Love It? I'm Marshall James. And
1: I'm Laura Weiss.
0: Saying uh, I'm I'm definitely not a replicant. I don't know about you guys. It's no way I'm a robot. <laughs> nope. I know it's real.
1: <laughs> I'm a replicant.
0: Uh... <gasps> Hi, everyone. I just want to take a moment here at the end to tell you about a new project that I've launched. The fight for a sustainable future is paramount, but at times it can seem overwhelming, especially when news about the environment often seems so dire. But there are reasons to be hopeful that we can succeed in saving the earth and undoing damage by human activity because every day millions of people are working tirelessly to heal our homeworld. My project is called The Greenest Generation, and it's a public awareness campaign to spread information about positive, uplifting news about the environment and advancements in the cause of sustainability, as well as resources for how to lower your personal environmental impact. So please follow The Greenest Generation on Facebook and Instagram at Greenest Generation and on Twitter at GreenGenBlog. Thanks so much.